0: Well good morning. I pray you're doing well here in the auditorium and in the venue today. My name is Adrian and uh, if we haven't met, I'd love to connect with you after the service. I appreciate the announcement that we just got about our graduating high school students. We are so, so grateful for all the students that we have here at the church. Uh, Wonderful high schoolers, incredible middle schoolers. We have a ton of great college students just celebrated uh, UNK graduation though this past week, and many students from Central Community College as well. Very thankful for the students though that we have here. You know, I, I, I sometimes reflect on some of the things though, that I read about the millennial generation and all the things that people don't like about them. And I, I just got to tell you, we have some amazing students in this church. And I, I'm not going to be one to stand up here and bemoan the coming generation because I have some hope. When I see these students and the graduating high schoolers that we have, and many of the, the students fall from UNK. So I would just echo what Jordan noted there that there's a, a number of, of wonderful displays of graduating high school uh, students. It's our honor to celebrate them today and encourage you to go uh, see some of their displays today before you head out on this beautiful, carny weekend. hmm Don't you love it? It wasn't like this last Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't know because you weren't here. <laughs> we had small attendance last Sunday, I must say. Well, let's, uh, let's jump right in, and you might pray that the Italian in me doesn't knock over this box, this toolbox and my gestures. I'm thinking it'll be okay, but let me adjust it sufficiently. Confidence and stability come from a lot of different places. They certainly come from family. The way we're raised, uh, a strong, intact family is is a powerful form of confidence and stability for us. Sometimes even a single parent is able to do an extraordinary job of of giving a child the stability they need. Um, Knowing you're good at something, knowing you have a skill and you're able to accomplish it, is able to help produce for us confidence and stability. That going through a period where you're not good at something, but then you have to persevere and work really hard to become good at something, and you overcome in the process, you develop that skill of perseverance, and you witness being not good at something, and then, and then going through a, a transformation of kinds where you develop a skill, that, that develops confidence and stability for us. I've been fortunate to have a few of those kinds of experience, but I'll tell you what, nothing, and it's not even close, nothing has given me more confidence and stability in my life than knowing that I am a child of God. I don't know about you, but I am positive for me that there is nothing that has granted me more stability in the midst of an ever-changing culture, we live in a society that's the fastest changing culture in human history. And we live in a evaluative culture where people are constantly judging what you put out there. But in spite of that, nothing has produced more confidence and stability for me, anyway, than knowing that I am a child of God. We're in week three of this series that we've titled, This Changes Everything. And, and this is the Passion Weekend of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. It's the belief that Jesus died on a cross some 2,000 years ago for our sins as a substitute for our sins in order to bring us to God, his perfection for our imperfection to bring us forgiveness. And yet that grave couldn't hold him. He was raised again on the third day and his resurrection justifies our confident belief in him. He died and he rose again And it's the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus that changes our everything. It changes our past by forgiving us. It grants us hope for the present, and it secures our future for good. Allow me, if you would, just to review for a moment. I believe that repetition is the mother of learning. Moms, would you agree? Okay. So allow me just to repeat the ground that we've tread here the past couple weeks. In the first week of this series, while we looked at Romans chapter 7, all we're doing in this six-week series is looking at two chapters of the Bible, looking at an expo of two critical chapters of the Bible, Romans 7 and 8. In the first week, we looked at Romans 7, in which the Apostle Paul said, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I'm supposed to do. In fact, I do the very thing that I hate. And he goes so far as to say, what a wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. And yet he says, the Spirit of God lives in me and the Spirit of God has given me help and and Jesus will deliver me. And he talks about this battle that we go through in which there's like two engines underneath the hood in the car. And I gave this analogy, there's one engine that's the old nature that wants to keep sending us west toward Las Vegas. And there's another engine that's the new nature and the new nature in Christ wants us to go east toward Jerusalem. And it's like, which one is going to work? Which one's going to win the day? And it really depends to a great degree on which one we feed is going to win the day in a significant way. And so that was uh, chapter 7. The culmination of that was this big idea. We are both saints and sinners at the same time, but mostly we are. Okay, I heard it from the venue. I didn't hear it from the auditorium. Mostly we are. Mostly we're saints, and so we live up to what God says about us. Whatever Jesus says about you is what you are fundamentally. We need to live into the gospel daily. We need to operate out of the grace of Christ. We need to walk with Jesus. We need to engage in spiritual practices that enable us to be with Christ. And as we do, we live into what we really are, which is saints of the Most High God. We become more holy as He is holy. Last week we marveled at the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 8 and what beautiful, beautiful verses they are. And as we looked at Romans 8, 1 through 11, we gave this big idea. Engaging the battle, they talked about in Romans 7, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gradually produces change in us. Steadily, slowly, over time, as we engage in the battle, it won't happen overnight, but God produces change in us as we lean into the Spirit of God. And slowly but surely, as we lean into the Spirit of God, choosing not to say it's about me and my way. Choosing not to say it's all about getting my fun needs met. All about getting my pleasure needs met. It's not that. It's not a list of do's and don'ts either. That's not what God gives to us. This legalism. Those things won't bring us the life of the Spirit of God. What brings us the life of the Spirit of God is learning to dwell in the Spirit with the tools that He gives us And out of that produces peace. A mind focused on the Holy Spirit produces peace. Of course, the mind that's focused only on this world pleasure, that's the word flesh that we talked about, only focused on this world pleasure, doesn't experience much peace. It experiences a lot of pride, a lot of greed, a lot of envy and comparison, but it doesn't get much peace. In contrast, Zechariah 4.6, one of my favorite verses, says, Not by my power, not by my might, but by your Spirit, O God. It's by the Spirit of God that we gain abundant life. It's by the Spirit of God that we gain peace, that we gain the fruit of the Spirit that we long for. Okay, that's just a little bit of review. Let's jump in now to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read six verses. Romans 8, 12 through 17. You can open that in your app or open it in your Bible. Uh, if you are just joining us in the series, Romans 8 is over in the, New, in the New Testament, about four-fifths of the way through your Bible. Go from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, and the book of Acts, which is the history of the church. And then Romans is the very first and the longest epistle of the Apostle Paul, the great church planter in the Mediterranean. And he says this, Romans 8, starting at verse 12. Are we all there? Okay. So then, brothers and sisters... The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We will suffer with him and we will be glorified with him. I want to just state the same big idea as I did last week. I wasn't very creative this week. No, it's the same idea. Engaging the battle at a heart level. In the power of the Holy Spirit will produce change. Slowly, gradually, bit by bit, we experience that which changes everything for us as we receive not only the gift of Christ's blood that forgives us, but the gift of the Holy Spirit that now dwells within us, and as we live in that Spirit of God, that changes us. So We noted last week, this change, we get peace. The mind filled with the Holy Spirit produces this life of peace. This morning I'd like to suggest three new changes, three additional changes that flow out of living in the Spirit of God. We get new peace, but we also get new power. New power comes to us who trust in Christ and are living by the Spirit of God each day. You'll see up on the screen the New Living Translation of verses 12 and 13. I find it helpful sometimes in my Bible study to read from a couple different versions. And this is from the New Living Translation. And it just states the same thing, but perhaps in a little bit more contemporary language than the ESV that I initially read. It says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You can, but you don't have to. You have no obligation to do the urges of the sinful nature. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Okay, you saw in that verse, you heard in that verse, therefore, therefore, brothers and sisters, as perhaps you heard in church growing up, whenever you... Read that word, therefore, in the Bible. You want to find out why it's, why it's therefore, okay? You want to find out why it's therefore. And the reason it's therefore is what we just sang about. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You look at verse 11 that precedes this one you go back and you read not just an individual verse, but you read the verses in context. And verse 11 that precedes that therefore is, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Can you believe it? Therefore, put to death the misdeeds of the body. Therefore, You have, I have, no more obligation to the flesh to obey its urges, its dictates. No, I have new power from the spirit that lives in me. Now this is, to be sure, violent language. Put to death the misdeeds of the body. Let's clear some, some things up this morning. When it comes to battling sin in our lives, it's not that Christians don't sin and non Christians keep on sinning. It's not that. Please don't say that, okay? If you ever say that, people are going to immediately see you as a hypocrite because obviously Christians still sin, don't we? We still sin. The difference is this non Christians like their sin better than they like Jesus. Christians like Jesus better than they like their sin. Okay? Christians still like sin. Okay? It's that old nature in us. Let's just be really honest. Why do we sin? Because it's fun. Okay? That that person who told you a sin isn't fun, they were lying. Okay? We sin because it's fun. It's pleasurable. But we can put to death the misdeeds of the body by the power of the Spirit that dwells in us because we like something much more than our old sins. We like the living God. We get to enjoy fellowship with the living God. We we get to enjoy His presence in our lives. We, We get to enjoy worship with Him. We realize that while sin might give us instant pleasure, like we talked about last week, it won't give us what we really like. It won't give us what we really want. It won't give us character. It won't give us the fruit of the Spirit. And so we choose not to always go after that which instantly satisfies us in order to go after that which will really satisfy us, which will really give us joy over the long term. So Christians say it's not that that, that you all sin and we don't. It's that we don't like our sin nearly as much as we love Jesus nearly as much as we like Jesus. And then second, we, we simply have newfound power over sin. We still will struggle with that old nature. We can still go toward Las Vegas because that old nature is in us. But the new nature in here gives us new power. And so we have a newfound strength to battle against it that we simply did not have before we were Christians. If you became a Christian as an adult, you can remember the time that you had almost no power against the urges of the flesh, I remember that well. But after we come to Christ and we begin to live in Him, begin to engage in the gift of the Spirit and the tools of the Spirit, we get new power. Ezekiel uh, points this out beautifully in this prophecy. 600 years before the time of Christ, it says this, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take from you your heart of stone and I will give you a life-giving heart of flesh in its stead. I'll take from you your old heart and give you a new heart, a new spirit. And with that new spirit, I will move you to follow my decrees, to live according to my laws, to do all that I say. I'll give you this new spirit that enables you to do what you weren't able to do beforehand. This was promised long ago. 600 years before the time of Christ. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon the people of God for momentary reasons. To give them a special power for a moment of need. Samson experienced that. Moses experienced that. Elijah experienced it. But then the Holy Spirit departed. There was a promise in Ezekiel and other places that in the new covenant that we now live in, the Spirit of God would live in us for good. Dwelling in us and giving us new power. And what Ezekiel promised would come 600 years before the time of Christ, that day's now here. That day's now here. We get the Spirit of God to dwell within us, to regenerate us from the inside out, giving us new power. We have the Spirit of God in us. We have the sword of the Word. We have the shield of faith. We have prayers in the Spirit of God at all times. What other tools does God give to us that we get to engage the spiritual life, grow with Him, and become the kind of people of character, the kind of God-glorifying people that we want to become? What other tools does He give us? He gives us worship. Not just that we would come to church. Please don't do that. Please participate in church. Worship at church. He gives us the Bible, and some of us have the habit of reading through the Bible over the course of a year. He gives us numerous different kinds of prayer that we can engage in. He gives us solitude that we can leave people in order to engage more and more with Christ. He gives us fasting that we would decrease our reliance on the comforts of this world in order to increase our reliance on the comfort that comes from God. He gives us all these wonderful tools. He gives us generosity with our time and our money. And over this series, I've suggested a few other tools that he's given to us. Let me open up my handy toolbox here. A few other tools that we've talked about in this series. One is uh, engaging in the scriptures by reading the same passage of scripture each and every week. And I've suggested reading Romans 7 and 8 each week back to back. How are we doing on that? Raise your hand if you've been doing that. Okay, two weeks down. you got a few more weeks to try. Let's go. Okay, each week I, I want to encourage you to read Romans 7 and 8 back to back because as you read this in different versions, you, you, you start to see certain themes. And maybe you say to me, Adrian, I'm not much of a reader. Well, I pulled out of my toolbox my phone. What a great thing that we live in a day that we can listen to the Word as well. You can go to your UVersion app. YouVersion app. You can, if you don't have that, you can get that on your phone or on your computer. And you can listen to Romans 7 and 8 each week. And then the next week you do it in another version. And you start to hear different themes. I did it last week a couple times while I was mowing the lawn. I I mean, two birds with one stone, how about that? We have these wonderful tools at our disposal. So there's one, okay? Romans 7 and 8, are you going to do it this week? Can I get some head nods with me? Okay, let's read or listen to Romans 7 and 8 this week. Here's another one I suggested last week. Spiritual conversations with trusted friends. So here's a picture of a number of people on our staff from volunteer appreciation. I am not suggesting that our staff are tools, okay? <laughs> we have a great staff. We have a great staff. But what, I, I suggest a spiritual conversation with a few people that are safe for you, friends or family members that are serious about God. We do lots of small talk in our culture, and that's okay. I do small talk. That's got its, its, its purpose. That's kind of how you lubricate things and get to know each other a little bit better. But, like, there's such a power in being able to talk about the things of God with other people who love and believe in God and are likewise wanting to walk closer to God themselves. And for me to talk with four of these people last week, I asked the question last Sunday What do you go to when you're seeking comfort? What do you go to when you're bored? what's your go-to? And so we talked about that, amongst a few of us on our staff. And it was raw, and it was real, it was honest, the same honest stuff that you would have to admit. But there was a power in that, in being able to say, I go to ice cream, or I go to too much TV, or whatever it might be for you. And I'm praying through that, that I would start to go more and more to a prayer closet, start to go more and more to the scriptures, more and more to taking a walk or engaging in spiritual conversations with other people. I mean, this is a great tool that God gives us. We we, we talk about so many little things, and it's okay to talk about our great Nebraska Cornhuskers. Yeah, great. It's okay to talk about politics. It's okay to talk about weather, all that stuff. But, like, we have the Spirit of God, I I mean, shouldn't we root each other on? Shouldn't we say, okay, this is how I'm growing with Christ? How are you growing with Christ? Let's talk about the main thing in life. Okay, enough on that. If you haven't yet done it, there's tool number two. Do it this week with someone who's safe. Here's your third tool. Pull it out of my toolbox. And I'm sorry to give so many tools, give so much homework, but I'm going to give one more, okay? One more for this series. Uh, as you go out to the journey wall or you go out to the information table, yeah, you can pick up uh, one of these tools. This is a business card that has three verses that I would encourage you to memorize. From the end of Romans 7. You could do it in this series. You could do it throughout the summer, depending on how quickly you memorize Scripture. And I'm always going to talk about memorizing Scripture as long as I'm up on the stage. I'm never going to stop talking about it. So if you get tired of it, sorry. I'm not going to stop talking about it. Because it is powerful. It brings about life change. It's transformational. The Word of God detonates in your heart at the moment of your need, and it just kind of explodes and gives you just what you need. And this is one of those words that's like cognitive, cognitive therapy for our identity. L- listen to this. In fact, let's read it together. I'm talking too much. I'm talking too loud. Let's go. Let's read it together. Uh, Romans 8, 37 through 39. Would you please join me from the screen here? These verses speak to the promise of Jesus For you and me, they are so powerful. Would you join me all together here in the venue? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, huh? You believe that? I mean, let's get that into us. Put it in your wallet. Put it on your dashboard. Put it in your phone case. However you do it, these are tools that God would give us. Pick up that business card, three great tools to engage in this series, reading a couple passages of Scripture again and again. Spiritual conversations, memorizing a few choice passages that do a cognitive therapy related to our identity in Christ. And the upshot of all of this, these great spiritual practices, is as we engage in these tools, it gives room for grace to grow in our lives. It's like having a garden plot. You have a garden plot you have to get out the weeds, don't you? If you're not pulling out the weeds, there's no room for the veggies to grow. But once you pull out those weeds, you leave extra room for those veggies to grow and all that good stuff starts growing. All that delicious vegetables and herbs begin to grow. But as long as you leave it untended, ooh, all that nasty stuff starts growing. So using these tools is like pulling the weeds and allowing the good stuff of God's grace to grow in us. It's a way that God gives to us. These tools are means that God gives to us to engage in the Spirit of God, and His grace flows more and more in our lives. It gives more room for God's grace to grow. This is no pretty declaration of doctrine. What I am talking about here is the power of the gospel in the life of the Holy Spirit to bring about transformation. Pretty doctrine is not what the world is looking for. What the world is looking for is more demonstrations of power, of life change. And we are invited to newfound power through the Spirit of God. Life change can be ours. Transformation, as our mission statement says. Okay, I better move on. Second, we got newfound courage. Newfound power and newfound courage. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, Jesus says. The spirit of God gives freedom. The spirit of God gives us courage. This passage goes on in verse 15 to say, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear once again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I would underline those two words in your Bible, slavery and fear. Fear is a form of of slavery, what are the things that we fear that end up enslaving us? Here's a few. Fear of death. I don't know where I'll go when I die. Fear of sickness. Fear of how God would judge me when I die. Will I go to heaven or will I go to hell? Fear of rejection from others. Fear of standing up for my faith lest someone reject me. Fear of disapproval—all of these are forms of slavery that are very, big, very, very common for us in our culture. There's an article written a couple months ago in the magazine Christianity Today about a book that's been written recently called *The Happiness Effect*. And the book is by a woman named Donna Fritos, who's a sociologist out of the University of Notre Dame, and she's done an interview of 200 uh, college students trying to understand the effect of constantly being bathed in social media. She didn't need to just interview college students, did she? Okay? But she's trying to understand the, the constant effect of being bathed in social media. And, and she, she gives some good news and some bad news. And the good news is uh, the really, really scary things like stalking and bullying and sexting are not as prevalent as people have suggested they are. Out of 200 interviewees, only like three to four experienced any of that still dangerous, but not as prevalent. But what she did find, the bad news was, out of 200 uh, participants, the vast majority were enveloped by social media such that they felt like they needed to produce this veneer of being happy and being hip all the time. They had to project something onto others, even if that's not how they were, they had to pretend that they were something they were not, because if they didn't show themselves to be happy or hip, they would be rejected. They would be shamed. And it's a portrait of slavery that looks a little bit like this. Take a look at this picture. You see that? Beautiful young woman who is crying, but she feels the need to paint a portrait on her phone for Instagram or Facebook or whatever it might be that is smiling. Because there's this fear of allowing anyone in to know the real me, to know where I'm really struggling. And it produces a slavery. Now to be sure, we all dealt with this to one degree or another when we were growing up. Envy and comparison, And the sense of identity, it's not new. It's not an experience only of millennials today. We all experienced it, but the difference is today it is constant. And it's not only constant, it's it's by so many strangers. I mean, think about the fear of having perhaps a thousand or a two thousand near strangers constantly evaluating you online. That would be enough to make my 21 year old self crumble. How about you? I'm not picking on social media. I'm not suggesting it's all bad. I engage in some of it. But I'm asking the question when we dwell on, on it, when we constantly live, on, live in it for several hours a day, what does it lead to? It leads either to an instant high or an instant feeling of shame and comparison and the fear of maybe not measuring up to this person. In contrast, what the Bible promises us is we have newfound power, we have newfound courage in the Spirit of God. Second Timothy 1.7 says, for God did not give you a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity, but he gave us a, a spirit of power, a spirit of boldness, of love and of self-discipline, of a sound mind. What God wants to do is come into us and give us instead this spirit of power, the spirit of courage that says, "Uh, I don't care how someone else treats me. I don't care how someone else judges me. I know that I am a child of God. Now, the hard words of Jesus is that if we have not given ourselves to him, we are orphans. I, I think we are still loved by God still created by God, but if you've not yet given yourself to Christ, you you remain an orphan. You're not yet a part of God's family. That's the word of Jesus, not my words. And what Paul is trying to do here is say, the very first thing that we all must do is bend our knee to Christ, surrender our lives to him, say, Lord Jesus, would you reign in me? Would you forgive me of all of my sins and failures? I look at the cross and I acknowledge that you are Lord and Savior, and the moment that you do that... You move, your status changes from being an orphan to becoming an adopted child of God. And as an adopted child of God, you have all the same rights as a firstborn son or daughter, you are included in his family. And if you are included in his family, you know that you live before him only. That gives you newfound courage that you don't have to live before the 500 or so people on social media who might judge you at any moment. And then what he does is he puts a spirit into us, and he invites us to call him Abba Father. What does that mean, Abba Father? Anyone want to shout it out? It means daddy. It means Daddy. The word Abba in Hebrew means daddy, papa, my dad, my good, strong, loving, tender father. And some of us aren't comfortable with that level of intimacy with God. But but that's what we're invited to. A level of intimacy with God our Father in which we would say, I really don't care all that much about so-and-so's approval or disapproval of me because I live before an audience of one, and he says I'm a son of the king. He says I'm a daughter of the king. So what can you really do to me? I'm not living in that slavery to fear any longer. We call out Abba, Father. The Puritans had this beautiful idea of living before an audience of one. And when you know that God the Father, when you know God the Son, when you know God the Spirit is for you, not against you, that God is your Abba, you have a freedom, a newfound freedom, a newfound courage to live before him only. Finally, we're told in this passage that we have new names. We have new names. At the end of the 11 o'clock service last year, I kind of lost it. I became a bit of a hot mess. Fortunately, you weren't here. It was a snow day, and you usually come to the 9:15 service. We had, and we had some people here, but it wasn't as much as none normally as normal. And I, I shared a story about a woman named Sharon Anderson who, who recently passed away, but, but she died in the sense of peace that was so powerful for, for me to see. and um, to, to, to witness the peace that she experienced. I just lost it at the end of the worship service, because we all want to see transformation, don't we? And when we see transformation, it just sticks with us and it cuts us to the core. And that was my experience as I was reflecting on Sharon's life in the midst of great suffering. She still lived and died with a sense of peace. And I lost it here on stage. And after the 11 o'clock service, a number of people came up to me and they said, Are you okay, Adrian? I mean, what happened there? And uh, a number of other people uh, sent me notes to during the week. And it was all very kind. I really, really appreciate it. But the thing was, I, I wasn't actually crying because of a sadness or something in me, or or because my heart was hurting, I was crying tears of joy. Because when we see transformation, when we realize that the Spirit of God comes into people, and it changes people from the inside out, and this actually is possible that we can live in the peace of the Lord. it's actually is possible that through the Spirit of God we have newfound power and courage and new names. You say hallelujah, I want more of that. And I lost it in the moment, I kind of became a hot mess. And the truth is that if that would have happened to me a few years ago, if that would have happened to me 10 years ago, I'll tell you this, in front of several hundred people, I would have had a tape going through my mind, you stinking wimp, you weakling. Every man in that room must have thought you were a sissy. They probably don't think you fit in here in Kearney, Nebraska, you're not strong enough. That would have been the tape that would go through my mind. Can I tell you on Sunday afternoon, I felt none of that. What what, what I felt on Sunday afternoon is I, I couldn't give a rip. I couldn't give two red pennies what anyone thinks about me. Because I'm a son of the Father. Belong to him. And he will never forsake us. He's given us new names. We're part of the royal family. And so Paul concludes his beautiful treatise here on this reality that we are adopted as children of God by saying, verse 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, even when we fail. The Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are his children, even when we become a hot mess. The Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are God's children even when we suffer. And I love the fact that Paul concludes this beautiful passage by noting that Jesus suffered and because we are heirs of God, so also we will suffer. He's saying expect it. You're either coming out of suffering or you're in suffering or you're going into suffering. Bad news for Sunday morning. But we should expect it. We should expect that this will happen to us. But if the son is an heir of the father and he suffered the rejection of men, then so also we who are heirs of the father will suffer rejection from people when we stand up for our faith. If the son was an heir of the father and he was abandoned by his friends, then we who are heirs of the father will experience some rejection. We will experience some abandonment from people that we love. If the son who was an heir of the father experienced intense emotional and physical pain, then we who are heirs of the father will likewise experience some emotional and physical pain. Paul is simply saying, was Jesus a part of God's family? Did he suffer? Are you a part of God's family? Will you suffer? But that will not ever separate you from the love of the father he will never leave you he will never forsake you far more than any of your suffering experiences far more than any of your failures far more than any of your other identity markers you are not mostly married or single or divorced you are not mostly black or white or brown or rich or poor You are not mostly a man or a woman or a mother or a father. You are mostly a child of the king. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have changed our names. I used to identify myself As a basketball player, as a stutterer, as a sinner. But I stand today with my brothers and sisters, identifying myself as a saint, as a child of the Most High God. And I pray for every person in here that they would know that that's what they are as well. If they've bowed their knee to Jesus, if they've confessed their sins and declared Him as Lord, then you can know today that you are his child. He will never leave you or forsake you. You are his. No matter what you are going through, you belong to him. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this great privilege that you have called us your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.